Hey, it's Pastor Tim. Welcome home. I want to thank you for listening to this message. I pray you hear God speaking exactly what He needs you to hear in this moment. May this message inspire you to live a life of engaged love in Him. Man, those are words. The thing is, it's okay. Did you guys listen to those words? I find myself at a loss for words. It's okay. Sometimes we don't feel okay when we're at a loss for words. Whether it's of joy, of sadness, when we're with God, it's okay. Well, happy Sabbath. Um, my name is really loud. My name is Miguel. I am the intern youth pastor here at Kaneohe Church. And we've been going over the Names of God series here. Uh, pastor and I have been going over different names and what they are. And today, I'm um, going over another name. And I've been bl- have you guys been blessed by the names of God and what we're going through? I know I have. Um, growing up, I've always had this idea taught to me that we serve the same God as the God of the Bible. And I had a rough time grasping that idea. Like, what does that mean? Because... There's a lot of stories in the Bible, so I don't get what that, you know, what that means. But going over these names, it means we serve the same relational, personal, and loving God as the God in the Bible. The same God who does things for us, who's with us. We serve Adonai O'Roy, the God who sees you. So that's the name we're going over today, Adonai O'Roy. Uh, before we go into it, I want to tell you a quick story. So for those of you in California or who kind of know the state of the area and what's been going on there. Um, there's been a lot of fires, right, in California the past couple of years. Pretty intense. You're pretty heated and fast and scary, right? So there's sort of this family who is in California. It's a mother, a father, and they're a daughter. And they get into this point where they're living up north and pretty close to the flames, and they realize they're stuck in the middle of the flames, that the flames are coming pretty fast, the fire's coming to their home, and they need to leave. They need to get out. Now, unfortunately, somehow they didn't hear about it until it was too late, and the homes around them are, are getting caught on fire. And um, they're trying to get as much as they can in their house, the important things, the documents, the pictures, excuse me, maybe some furniture, whatever they can grasp on and throw it in the truck before they leave. And fi- finally, they're on their last trip from the, the, the house to the truck, and the mom is by the, by the door, holding the door open for their family, and the father and the daughter are on the stairs, and the father has his daughter's hand, um, on the stairs, and they're walking. And as they're walking, he feels his grip loosen, and she lets go, the daughter. The daughter's maybe nine, ten years old, very young. And he looks back, and he sees her running up the stairs, screaming, my teddy bear! It's the one that she was given as a baby, and that she's been stuck with since she's been nine, ten years old, Right? And the dad and the mom are, are scared, and they throw the things in the truck. They go outside, and they turn around to come back to save their daughter, and the flames have already gotten too thick to go inside. So what he does next is he thinks about where he can go. So he goes outside. It's a two-story house, and he looks up to his daughter's window. And again, there she is, and she's screaming, Dad, help. And he looks up to her calmly and says, Jump. I'll catch you. And she says, No, no, Daddy, I'm scared. I can't see you. So he says again, calmly and with love, 
I'm right underneath you. I'll catch you. Just jump. You can't see me, but I see you. Just jump. Luckily enough, she jumps, he catches her, they get into the truck, and they're safe. Their home catches on fire, but they are safe. Today, I want to talk about the God who sees you. When we feel like we don't see him, he sees us. He calmly talks to us and says, I'm right here. I'm right underneath you. I'll catch you. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you so much for this Sabbath day, Lord, this day of rest that you've given us. Lord, some of us may have a long week, um, some challenges we've been facing, but Lord, I ask today that you let us forget about those things, those anxieties, those worries, Lord, and let us be here with you in your presence. Lord, as we unwrap your name, Adonai El Roy, Lord, and the God who sees, I ask that you let us take time to reflect on that, Lord, that while we may be scared and we feel like we can't see you, Lord, you see us. Thank you again for bringing us all here today. And in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Okay, so last time I was here, a couple Sabbaths ago, well, I was speaking, um, we went over the name El Shaddai. Does anyone remember what that name meant? It meant God Almighty, yes. So at that moment, we're talking about Abraham and Sarah, and we're going to talk about them a little bit today, too. So today we're going to be opening Genesis chapter 16. If you want to open your Bibles or your devices, we're going to be mostly in Genesis chapter 16. But give me, let me give you the context. So for those who may not knew, know, Abraham and Sarah are these people in the Bible who have been giving a promise that Abraham will be the father of many nations. But at this moment, they're already in their older age, and they're questioning God, whether it's going to come through them or some, someone else or another way of life. So Abraham and Sarah are talking about this, and they end up going to their, their slave, their servant, named Hagar. And Sarah says, Abraham, listen, I'm too old. How about you have my servant, you know, how about you have her as your surrogate mother, and then I'll take care of her as if she's my own, the baby, right? So then Abraham says, okay. Now, at this moment, it wasn't very uh, um, unnatural for this to happen. This happened a lot back then. Um, but this wasn't the way that God intended it to be. God said that Sarah and Abraham were to have this, and that they were to be the descendants and mother and father. But today we're looking at the story of this other family that Abraham had put himself into, the story of Hagar and Ishmael. Uh, so we're talking about names. Uh, the story are the names of Hagar and Ishmael. Hagar means forsaken or one who fears. That's what the name Hagar means. And we'll see that play out in this story. And then Ishmael, her son, means God will hear. And we'll see in this chapter 16 of how he got that name and what that means. But those are what the two names mean of Hagar and Ishmael. So Abraham tells Sarah, okay, I'll do it. And this is where we're entering that story of Abraham and Sarah agreeing that this may be the way that God wants it to happen. But we'll see that it isn't. So Genesis 16, the first verse. Genesis 16, it says, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Now you already noticed it throughout these first two verses. What's going to happen throughout the entire chapter, whenever Sarah and Abram, or I'll say Abraham for this time, whenever they talk about 
Hagar, they never mentioned her by name. They say, my servant, my maidservant, my slave. They never say Hagar. They'll say it after, but they always tend to call her by what she did instead of who she is. Right? Last week, Pastor talked about our identity in the name of God. Right? We have a new identity in the name of God. That we're no longer by what we did, but we're what Jesus did for us. And I feel like Satan tries his best to do the same thing with us. He says, they're just sinners. You're nobody. You're just what you do. You're just lustful. You're just an idolater. You're just a sinner. But we can look back and say, no, I'm a child of God. I'm no longer what I did. I am who I am in God, in Christ. So he's, they're doing this with Hagar, and that's what they see her as, as simply a means to an end of how they can have their children. So Abraham and Sarah end up not knowing what to do with her. She ends up having, uh, not her child yet, but having a child grow inside of her. And she wants the simple things of being a mother. Now, I will never have this blessing, but for those who've had kids, uh, you kind of know that when you have a child inside of you, when it started to grow, you simply want to be loved. You want to be cared for. You want to be taken care of. You want to be heard and listened and talked to and maybe babied and just loved, right? In those first few months, you're growing a human inside of you. That's crazy. So this is what Hagar wants, right? She simply wants to be loved and heard. And at times, she may have mocked Sarah, saying, you won't be able to go through this or have this, but I, I have. Now, I'm sure this maybe was meant full of love. Maybe it wasn't. But Sarah complained and talked to Abram and said, I can't do this anymore. She's, she's mocking me. But I'm sure Hagar, along with the mocking, simply just wanted to be loved. And this is a perfect view of what being intimate with someone and staying with only one person means. When you're intimate with another person, that emotional and physical connection is at a different level. And Hagar feels that. She says, well, I'm, I'm a mother now. And Abraham, I, I guess, is a father, so I want to be loved. She simply wanted to be heard, listened, and seen. But instead, she was abused. So this is what happened. She couldn't take it, and she leaves. Genesis uh, 16, jumping down to verse 6. Your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think is best. Then Sarah mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. Oftentimes, I feel like we give people next to us maybe too much power. We say, just do what you think is best. At this moment, this put her in the perfect time. You were just given a promise by a God, El Shaddai, God Almighty, who said you'll have a descendants. You'll be a God. You'll be a father of many nations. If I heard a God tell me that in my old age, this would be a perfect time to say, okay, hold on. Let me stop, listen, think about this, and ask God for direction. But instead, Abraham says, you deal with it and treat her the way you think she should be treated. And she does. And ends up being pretty harshly, so much so that Hagar leaves. Verse 7, the angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was a spring that was beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarah, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarah, she answered. Interesting how she calls her by her name first, Hagar, then by what she, her occupation was. 
the same way that God was with Moses in the wilderness when he left his mistakes. God's with Hagar. In the same way that God was with Jonah when he left what he was supposed to be doing, God is with Hagar. And God is with you. My first point today is that even when we feel alone, abandoned, and scared, God is still with you. When we're running to that desert place. So Hagar, what she meant to do is she felt so out of place in this toxic relationship. She says, the only place I can go to is the desert. Trying to make her way to Egypt alone, a pregnant woman expecting, trying to travel all the way to Egypt. She feels that rather than being in this place, the desert is the best place to be. But God is still with her. And God is still with you. Isaiah 41.10 says, So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So my first point is that God is with you. So Hagar runs away, and this, is just, this just shocks me. She runs away from this relationship, this family, this confusing place that she's in, and the desert, the desert of all places, she feels this is better. This is better than being in this relationship, in this place that people are hurting me. I'd rather be here in the desert. Oftentimes we feel like we find ourselves in the desert. And while we're not meant to be there, the desert is where true healing begins. And this is what happens with Hagar. Verse 8, and he said, Hagar, slave of Sarah, where have you come from and where are you going? In my life, I feel like I've made some pretty impulsive decisions. I get really excited and emotional, and I want to make decisions like right here, right now. And some of them I loved. They were really good decisions, um, traveling or doing some fun things with friends. Some of them weren't so good, and sometimes I often regret. But I have this, I try to have this group of friends around me that I can bounce ideas off and say, listen, I, I want to I do this, but what do you think? And they'll say, yeah, it's a good idea, or maybe think about it more. Or what are you really trying to do, right? So I heard this saying that... Um, you, as a person, you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. So think about that. Close your eyes. Think about your week. The five people you spend the most time with. Maybe your life. Maybe it's not physically with them, but maybe you're texting them. Um, you're calling them. The five people you spend the most time with, you are the average of. So you might talk like them. You might walk like them. Do some things like them. You end up might buying things to impress the five people rather than yourselves because they have that much impact in your life, right? So at this moment, Hagar has no one, but God is there to be that person, to be that reasoning, saying, Hagar, where have you come from and where are you going? Instead of continuing her, continuing, continuing to let her make impulsive decisions and go further and further into the desert, he says, let's talk about this. What's your plan? What's your, what's your end goal? You had a place, and now you're leaving, but where are you trying to go to? So my question to you is, who are you surrounding yourself with? Who are you intentionally or unintentionally surrounding yourself with and mirroring on the daily basis, on the weekly basis? Are those people encouraging you 
to make better choices, to guide through God's direction, or are they saying, yeah, you're fine, just keep doing what you're doing? The impulsive decisions are best. Who are you surrounding yourself with? So God ends up being with Hagar and says, let's talk to this. He finds her where she is, Adonai El Roy, and he sees her, and he listens. Verse 9, then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, you are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard your misery. That's where the name comes from. Then verse 12, he says, he will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him, and he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. So we understand that this angel is to be God, and he says, go back, submit, and I'll take care of you. For those of you who may not know the history of Ishmael and Isaac, um, Ishmael very much does become a father of many descendants. Um, his history, his lineage throughout history, is he's the father of the Arabic people, the 12 tribes, and become very great. But throughout history, he doesn't really live well with them. He kind of lives in the outskirts because of how much clashing there is. And then Isaac, on the other hand, becomes a father of the Jewish people. Now, people tend to believe that the Arabic people, that what they're going through now in history and have always gone through, that they deserve it because Ishmael was the forgotten son. He's known as the forgotten son. The sin, the mistake wasn't God's purpose. They believe that what's happening to them should have happened and will always continue to happen. If that was truly God's plan, why did he come to Hagar in the desert? He could have easily left her to die. He could have maybe had Hagar have the baby and then told Hagar to go somewhere else and had Abraham and Sarah take care of Ishmael, right? And raise him. But he doesn't. Instead, he goes to Hagar. He says, insert yourself back into the story. We're not done yet. We're not finished with this story yet. And while we sit here sometimes and we feel like we have the whole picture of what we think is going on. God's like, we're not done yet. The story isn't over yet. You think that what you're going through is rough, and I see you, I hear you, and I'm with you. We're not done yet. So he says, go back and submit. So he tells Hagar, you're going to have a child, but even then, it won't be easy. But I see you. So this Egyptian woman, some history about her is that Abraham and Sarah in Genesis chapter 12 had another mistake, another hiccup in their life. They're going to Egypt. They find this Pharaoh. Pharaoh and his people think Sarah is just beautiful. Abraham gets scared and says, I don't want anything to do with this. I'm, if they think, if they find out you're my wife, they'll kill me and have you. So just say you're my sister. And they do. They carry out this plan. And as Pharaoh is trying to butter up Abraham to get his sister, Abraham gets Pharaoh gives Abraham all these animals, ox, sheep, a good harvest. And then he says, you know what? Take servants, man and woman servants. And within that group of people was Hagar. And then end up Pharaoh getting a huge plague with his family. And he says, what's going on? You lied to me. I thought this woman was your sister. It's your wife. So he tells them to leave, and they leave. So years later, and this is what happens, 
Sarah says, this slave, take this slave to carry out the purpose. Hagar, an Egyptian woman turned slave, turned now mother, turned now almost homeless in the desert. Someone who worshipped idols in Egypt, not knowing which god it was. This woman, Hagar, replies like this, verse 13. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. 14. This is why the well was called Bilahai Roy. It is still there between Kadesh and Bered. God came down to this woman who in the midst of this mess, in the midst of this mistake that others made that she's part of, and sees her. And it's funny when we become in close contact with God, or in this case, face-to-face -face in this relationship, you feel the change. You can't leave the same, and Hagar feels that. She says, I now see the one who sees me, who's always seen me. I've worshipped other gods, but now I see the one who sees me. So that's my main point today, but second point is that Adonai Elroy, God sees you. Lord, I'm too dirty. I see you. Lord, no, listen, this is, there's a sin I'm not proud of. No one knows I'm ashamed. Yeah, I see you. Lord, I feel like I'm alone in the desert. No one gets to me. This is the only place I have to be. I see you. He sees you. And now that we establish that he's with us and he sees us, are you willing to trust him to lead you? Adonai Elroy sees you. Now I wish I can say that Hagar goes back and it's all lovely and dandy and that she grows up and is well. But it's not. Hagar goes back. She has Ishmael. And Ishmael is alive for almost, people say, 13 to 14 years. Ishmael grows up. And everyone's noticing that Ishmael is so far the only son. And it isn't until 14 years, while Ishmael is 13 to 14, that Abraham and Sarah finally have their son, Isaac. But for those years in between, people are seeing Ishmael and saying, oh, this is, is this the one that's supposed to take care of the descendants? Is this the one to carry out the plan? And they're confused, and they're, then Isaac comes, so they, they're conflicted. Is it going to be Isaac or Ishmael? And some things happen, some conflict happens, and Sarah ends up being scared and says, there's no way this is going to happen again. And sees that Ishmael and Isaac are getting into it, and this time she complains to Abraham. Abraham, while scared, hears that God has a plan for Hagar. Sarah ends up banning Hagar and Ishmael. They leave. And again, Hagar is in the desert place, this time with Ishmael. They were given like a sack of food and some water, and that's it. Again, they're in the desert, but this time she has a son, a teenager. No longer someone inside of her, but he's born, and he's a teenager. And he's close to death. She leaves him under a bush so he can be in the shade, and she goes off. At this moment, I don't know about you, for those who have kids or have friends at a young age, people you take care of, but this moment she feels that one of them is going to die, that there's no hope left. 
So as she lays him in the bush and goes to find help, he's also finding hope and realizing this may be it. This may be the time that it's gone. God calls out to them and hears the cries of Ishmael and Hagar. Hagar gets up from wherever she's at and sees this well that she might have missed. But God provided this water. And again, the second time that Hagar is going through this, he still is with them and he sees them. They've been going through so much trials, so much storms in their life, yet he still sees them and he's, he's with them. Ishmael and Isaac have two different stories. Isaac grows up in tents and nice places. Ishmael grows up in the wilderness, but they still serve their purpose. God still keeps his promise. He says, I see you. God isn't calling us to live these perfect lives. I'm sure he wants us to be safe, but he's not calling us to live this amazing, safe, careful lives if he was, I feel like these pews would be less filled. You know that. You've gone through things. You've seen things. You know that life isn't great, but you're here because God's with you. And you've seen God work through your life. Hagar saw that, and she says, I see the God who sees me. I see him working. If you're here today, God's working. This is living proof that he sees, that I see the God who sees me. Sometimes we need a shift in perspective. David writes about this, and I think it's pretty good. Psalms 121, this is what David says. I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. In this place that David's in, he needed to simply remind himself that God is always there. He's always watching. He sees. So my closing thought is that while God's always there and he always sees you, I'm not really sure what picture of God you have in your mind right now. You may be thinking of a God like a helicopter parent who's just watching over you, doesn't give you space. Maybe you're thinking of a God who is watching, watching you for your every mistake to call you out on it. At first, I want to say I'm sorry that you have that picture of God, but that's not the God that I serve. The God that I serve walked calmly in the garden after Adam and Eve made their mistake and called out to them and said, where are you? and waited for them to come to him. The God that I serve was with Joseph as he's being sold as a slave from his brothers, being sold from his family into a life of slavery. The God that I serve is the one who continued to be with David even after the mistakes he made. A man after God's own heart. That's the God that I serve. The God who sees me past the mistakes that I've made past the things that I've done. He sees me. He's with me. And he's waiting for me to go to him. You see, God isn't wanting us to run to the desert. Hagar felt she wasn't loved enough. 
She wasn't getting the things she needed. And she thought, the only option for me is to go to the desert. An expecting mother to go to the desert. I don't know who feels like you're in the desert today or if you ever felt that way. But I want you to know that here at this church, we have people that love you, that are here for you, that see you. Don't ever feel like the desert is the only place to go because it's not. If someone in your life is going through something, if you are going through something, we are here for you. Don't ever feel the desert is the only place to go. But if you're there, God's with you. If you end up being there, God sees you. Trust him. Trust him willing to keep his promise. I challenge you to look up to Adonai El Roy and say, Lord, right now in this desert, I don't see you. I don't feel like you're here, but I know you see me, Lord. Lord, I know you're there. I know things won't be easy, Lord, <laughs> but I see you. I trust that you brought me this far and you continue to guide me. There's a story in the Bible you might know about the disciples in this boat. The storm is rocking this boat and they're scared. They're frightened and they want help and they cry out. As the storm gets more intense, they look out and they're squinting. They see this figure on the water. Who could that be? It gets closer and closer and it's Jesus. In the middle of the storm, Jesus is there simply to say, I see you. I hear you and I'm with you. He sees them in the storm doesn't take them out of it, doesn't levitate them out, teleport them away, but he walks to them in the storm. He, he goes to Hagar in the desert and says, I see you and I hear you. While it's not what he wants, sometimes in the desert place, he simply wants to say, I'm here and I see you and I'm with you. So I don't know where you're at. If you're here right now, maybe you want to listen to this later or watch this later, but if you ever find yourself in that desert place, just know that God sees you, that we see you, and we hear you. So today, will you say with me, I have seen the one who sees me. Adonai O'Roy, he sees me. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to support this ministry with your time, treasure, or talent, please visit our website at kaneohesda.org. Have a blessed rest of your day.